0: Well, let's this morning turn to Acts chapter six as uh, we've been dealing, as you you know, on a series dealing with the office of deacon. And we're not going to go into the reasons for this other than to say that obviously as we continue to grow and there continues to be these legitimate needs among us, they certainly need to be addressed. And uh, the first line of addressment, I'm kind of Torn between whether we say, well, it's all of our responsibility to serve one another, and that's true. But I would say the first line as an office bearer then falls to the deacon or deacons, as the case may be. So these particular needs that can be taken care of. So as we saw in Acts 6, that uh, those who are in in the office of preaching, whether we look at it as apostles or we look at it as elders, not that I think they're apostles today, but... uh, in the sense of what we're dealing with here. Uh, they said in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So there again is something of the reason as to why we see uh, the legitimacy of preaching upon this. This morning, though, we want to deal not with those issues per se, but deal with the issues of looking at the qualifications of those men who can hold the office of deacon or those who can be placed into this office in accordance to the word of God. Uh, these things, uh, as we look at them, they'll actually make perfect sense to us as if we recall the fact that the office of deacon exists in order to be uh, the public, as it were, the public hands of the church, the public servers of the church. And so as we look at these qualifications you can see the wisdom of god and saying well this is why these men need to hold these particular traits or characteristics or graces if you will it's because they will be fulfilling some of these very things or they will somehow touch something in his in that office and so admire here this morning if nothing else something of the wisdom of god in seeing these qualifications being put forth in this office of deacon. And I have you turn to Acts 6 once again, because I told you before, I think I see some qualifications immediately dealing with this office, if, in truth, that Acts chapter 6 is dealing with the office of deacon per se. Now, we've, I've already made my... Uh, speech about that but let me just again give a word of caution nowhere is the word uh, used that says that they're a deacon I recognize the Greek word dekanos is found there but again you can find other passage and you can see other men who to whom that Greek word is applied and it doesn't mean that they were holding for instance the office of deacon So when we come to this, let us be very cautious about that because there are some obviously some things here that just cannot apply I'm not, we do not today have apostles in the church so they cannot begin to by the uh, I'm to Use the term very loosely here this morning by the inspiration of the spirit um create new offices in the church as they did here so we're not trying to play that game so there are some carefulness if we're going to say this is these are deacons here that we have to use in coming to we can draw at least some basics of it that is the fact that these men need to be serving in the office in which they're given uh the church does need to look out amongst the people and to choose these and then the elders or the leadership then will uh as it were say yes, that's true. These men have good godly traits and they seem to fit the office and uh, we will go ahead then and lay our hands upon them So that's about as far then as w- as I would like to take act six as far then then we'll go into Second first timothy here maybe this morning and then be a little on more safe grounds when we look at this So. Uh, these men who are servants of the church, who hold the office of deacon, who as a whole are to be relievers of the widows and of the ministers as well, so that they can preach. What is to be or what are to be their characteristics? Can anyone hold this office? And that's the question. Well, what do we see from Acts chapter 6 then? In verse 3 in particular, notice here it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out... Among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. I want you to notice very quickly there in verse 3, he tells the church here, or they tell the church here, Look ye out among you. Notice here the idea of look out has the, uh, the background of looking at and expecting them. That is, these are not men who are somehow hid off in a corner somewhere who never show any kind of traits whatsoever. No one knows them. In fact, as I said, there are thousands of members of this church at this time. And despite this idea that we can somehow get in a large church and get lost, uh, that didn't happen in the first century. How do I know that? Because the the church members here saw these particular traits in these individuals and they called them forth, as it were, to minister in this office. So they had to know them. Not only did they have to know them, they also had to be able to discern these things. Look ye out among you seven men of honest report. These, these members had to understand that there were some men out there who could fulfill this responsibility that these apostles are putting upon them. So we are justified then by this example set forth in Scripture to examine the lives of these men who are to hold this office. Now, in doing this, let me give a caution here again. We need to exercise charity. We are not to do anything in a judgmental fashion to where we hurt the brethren or discourage the brethren, but ours is to do the will of God in the way that it's spoken of. And without charity, we are nothing. So we have to be very cautious and very careful in this judging of others. But at the same time, we are given as a church, though, the responsibility, according to the Word of God, to look out and find such men. Now, there are three godly traits that are listed here in verse 3. The first one is honest report. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. Well, that's... A pretty easy uh, trait to define. It means someone who is, here's my wisdom sticking out here like a sore thumb. It's a man who's honest. It's a man who's trustworthy. It's a man who's truthful in his dealings with others. And notice, he's reported this way. Again, he's not someone who hides in the back and they have to seek him out and say, Are you honest? No, this is something that everybody knows. This is something that the majority can testify to. Yes, this man is honest, he's truthful, and he's trustworthy. And this must be then in accordance to every aspect of his life, whether it be personal, spiritual, business-minded, and all those kind of things. He has to have that honesty. You know, His conversation among men is known of that. The term also means something a little bit further than that. It means the word, it has the idea of being testified or attested to. In other words, this is what they really are. Part of being honest would obviously negate the fact that these men are hypocrites. And so that needs to be done. There's no hypocrisy that can really be shown forth here. It's a known thing. It's reported of them. It's not talking about an unknown person here who doesn't have any kind of public dealings with the people of God. Secondly, you notice in the text, the second godly trait is that he's to be full of the Holy Ghost, full of the Holy Ghost. And of course, this can be easily misunderstood today with our uh, rabid charismatic movement that certainly... Filtrates here in Topeka, by the way, you may not know this, but Topeka is the starting ground of the new movement of the charismatic movement that took place back in the early 1900s. So we're not surprised at all that we see such a great tendency in Topeka, Kansas, for the so called gifts of the, uh, uh, the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit supposedly being exercised here in this city but really what this has to do is it's someone who is full of the holy ghost in this sense that he's not someone who is self-willed someone who is to hold this office isn't just someone who is just trying to get his way no rather he's submissive to the will of god the holy spirit would never ever direct us contrary to the word of god would it because the Spirit of God is the author of the Scripture. So he would be a man who would definitely desire the will of God, which is the Word of God, to have the supreme end of all things. Thus, he's a man then who is sensitive to the Scriptures. And he would be a man then who would not be working outside of the sphere of his abilities or the responsibilities that are set forth for this office. In other words, he will be someone who is very sensitive of not going outside of the bounds of what he's been called to do. You and all, we all know this. We've, we've run across them in churches in the past, or deacons in the past, it may be. You know, they're the ones who are directing the church. They're the ones who supposedly have the spiritual oversight. They are the um, pillars of the church. They're telling the pastors what they can and cannot do. Brethren, that would be overstepping their bounds from the Word of God. And thus, they wouldn't be full of the Holy Ghost, would they? Because the Holy Spirit would not direct the hearts of His people to live outside of the callings which they've been given unto. So, He will submit. One of the things that, as He is being proved for this office, is that He will submit to what the Bible says is His place as a deacon. And he will submit cheerfully and do so. We shouldn't have to come to this individual or these individuals time after time after time and say, look, these are your duties. Please do them. Now, if he's full of the Holy Ghost, he will gladly submit to these responsibilities. Just as a man who holds the office of pastor, wouldn't you hate to have to continually come to me and say, preacher, you need to be preaching. You need to be preaching more. You need to be more doctrinal. You need to be more applicational in your, in your sermons. Because we don't... I mean, wouldn't that be a sad place? Now, it's true. We all need our exhortations. And we're not leaving that out at all and that sort of thing. But brethren, we're going to be full of the Holy Ghost. We're certainly going to be doing what the Scripture tells us. And then the third, third one here this morning in our text is that He's full of wisdom. And we're going to deal more with this. In the next hour as we're dealing in our exposition of James But at this point here as far as the office of deacon is concerned he is a man who is to take uh, He is to have wisdom to the full. He's to be full of wisdom You say well, what's all that? Well, it's here in the context in particular It's dealing with being able to Being spiritually minded To be able to carry out his responsibilities and duties as a servant of of the church. He would be someone who can say, look, I can survey this and I see the needs that I need to be serving in. I have the wisdom to be able to discern the situation and take care of it. Remember, the problem here was with the, uh, the murmuring of the church, particulars of the church about the Grecian women, uh, widows not being taken care of. Well, these deacons then were to, as it were, come to the front line and they were to have wisdom to be able to respond to this situation and to respond to future situations that are going to come up that would take the apostles and those who were preaching away from their responsibilities in particular of prayer and of the ministry of the Word. So you want men then who can think. And it's not just they can think, but they can act upon that thinking. You know, we, uh, if we're deacons, we should be able to see the needs. Now, again, that doesn't mean we see all the needs, but we should be actively looking. And that's where the wisdom will come in. And a man who is to hold this office is to have to be full of that, full of wisdom, so he can discern, he can make decisions, and so forth. Well, those are three godly traits that need to be in the men who hold this office and if you're looking out among ourselves here this morning and thinking about these issues and you're saying well i think so and so or so and so well again do they meet these qualifications and you're not uncharitable by saying well no i actually don't think they do well then okay we don't need to blow Anybody out of the water because they do not. That's not the case of what we're trying to do. But again, if we're going to be looking out, these need to be found. And any church would be blessed, would they not, to have such in their diaconate. Men who are full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, and of honest report. Well, that's not all. Or perhaps as we come to 1 Timothy, we can look at it this way. Perhaps this is then the exposition of some of those qualifications, those three that are mentioned in Acts chapter 6. So now we want to turn to 1 Timothy 3, where, again, we do know we're on really sure grounds here about what it means to be or to have the qualifications for the deacon, because this is what Paul in particular deals with. In First Timothy chapter 3, we know that Paul begins here speaking of the office of bishop. And the office of bishop, if someone has that office or desire for that office, he says here he desires a good work, and thus a bishop must be these things. And I hope you would think that these are things that obviously ought to be found in men who are aspiring to this office and for men who are in the office. And you would say, this is where we have to hold the line, because this is what the Bible says. Well, when we come a little bit further down into the text, beginning in verse 8, we see some more qualifications, but this uh, qualification deals with the office of deacon. And once again, we should hold the line here and say, look, this, these are the qualifications. These are the kinds of Christian traits, uh, graces, whatever you like to call these things, that are to be in these men if they are going to be and be retained in this office so let's begin let's just read 8 through 13 likewise likewise there is in reference reference to the qualifications for the bishops that were mentioned earlier or pastors likewise must the deacons be grave not double minded not given to much wine not greedy of filthy lucre holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Well, those are the qualifications as Paul sees them now. This is years later, you understand, from the incident taking place there in Acts chapter 6. And if they were deacons, at the most we could say they were proto-deacons. They were the beginnings of the office of deacon there. And by the time we come to First Timothy and also Philippians, it's a full-fledged office. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians to the bishops, to the deacons, and to all the saints. And so thus we see the makeup then of a mature church. They will have a, uh, these characteristics about them. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 8... We see that the, the word must is there. Likewise, must the deacons be grave. This is not optional. Sadly, in the matter, we've just, we see sometimes it's. If if someone even looks like they want to serve, or at least want to hold the office, they just kind of, well, let's do it. No one else is going to do it, so we better let them do it because we want to. And nowadays, you keep people plugged in, you know, so they won't leave the church. So let's give them something to do to make them happy, to keep them quiet, uh, to give them something to do so that they won't be getting into trouble, brethren. While that may sound wise to the world, it's not good. It's not good for a church. It's not healthy. And the reason why isn't because, well, that's just not the way it ought to work, because I don't like it, or perhaps you may not like it. But again, we have to go back to Scripture, don't we? If these men are to hold these offices, then these things are a must. And so we want to look at it in that light. Even though there may be a need for the office, they still men still have to be qualified. And if there are no men who are qualified, maybe the need isn't as great as we think. So we need to be more slow, need to be careful, and we need to do what God says. Just to put a man in the office for a little help is a dangerous thing to do. First of all, well, what's he must be? He must be grave. And this idea has to do with seriousness. He's to have a reverential attitude uh, about himself. The word comes from a word that which, which means to worship. So he's a man who's given over to that. We would, we would say today he's a devout man, spiritual man, oh, full of the Holy Ghost. Perhaps we would say maybe as we were going to look at Acts, it doesn't mean here he's a man who is sour and cannot smile or he seem, doesn't seem to have any kind of happiness. Now, think with me a minute about this. We said a while ago that the, the characteristics of these men are to fit that office well, if one of the, the things, if Acts 6 is dealing with deacons, one of the things that they're to do is to deal with the widows. How many widows do you think would welcome a man into their home who looks as if if he smiles, it would pain or kill him? wouldn't work, would it? So even though a man is serious, doesn't mean he can't be joyful. He can't be a happy Christian in, in, in a good sense. So even though he's grave, you know, don't read more into that than what the Scripture allows. He's just to be seriously minded. Another thing, he's not to be double toned Purposely saying one thing and meaning something else. He's a man who lets his yea be yea and his nay be nay. Again, think about that as he's dealing with widows and going from people to people. He has to have that honest report about him. And then thirdly, according to our text in verse 8, he's not given to much wine. doesn't mean here he cannot drink, and I don't even want to get into that issue this morning. But it does mean here he's not addicted to drink wine in particular. It says here, he's not given to much wine. So, if he's has trouble with alcohol, then obviously he's not qualified. He needs to be Very careful. And that's speaking here of self-control then, isn't it? Self-control. None probably just, you know, we can... Again, not trying to step over what Paul has said, but someone who can be temperate in his life. Whether drink or food, for that matter. Another thing in verse 8 that he's not given over to... He's not greedy of filthy lucre. Children, the word lucre there means money. Money. Not that he can't have a way with dealing with money because you remember what's he going to do according to Acts 6 if those are deacons. He's going to be distributing funds and supplies to widows. So he has to have a money mind. So it's not that he can't touch money but the point here is he's not to be greedy of filthy lucre. That's very fitting, then, wouldn't it, if he's to hold the holy office of taking care of tables? They can't be like Judas, you remember, who said, Well, I care for the poor, but he really didn't because he was a thief and he had the bag and he knew what was put therein, according to John chapter 12 and verse 6. So ma- money then isn't his major goal in life. What is his major goal is servitude. Servitude. Not money. Doesn't mean he can't have a job. Doesn't mean he can't uh, seek to increase his holdings. Anything like that. But that can't be his major. He cannot be guilty of filthy lucre. Notice verse 9. He's to have some spiritual uh, and biblical knowledge under his belt. He's to be able to hold the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. As we saw in Acts, they were to be men of wisdom. And wisdom comes from understanding the truth of God's Word. So, deacons then are to be biblically literate. Again, you can see the wisdom of that. They're going around speaking to folks. They have to be able to discern. And they have to have the knowledge of the Word of God to do so. They'll be dealing with widows. And obviously, they would come, since women can't speak in the services, that's forbidden. And they can't even ask a question according to 1 Corinthians 14. Well, one of the likely places they would be asking is when other men would be visiting. And so he has to be able to, with a pure conscience, to be able to speak the truths of God's Word. Thus, a deacon in in these first couple of things is to be seriously minded. He's not to be be double-tongued. He's honest. Not given to wine. He's temperate. He's not guilty of filthy lucre. And he has some Bible knowledge under his belt. Then notice in verse ten, and let these also first be proved. And the word also there is referring back to that the those who would hold the office of elder or bishop, pastor, is to be are to be tried as well, that is tested. They're to have the test put before them as are these men qualified? Well he says here, let them first be proved too. And then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. So one of the qualifications for this is that we're to test these men. They're to be put on, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but they're to be put on trial, as it were. They're to, to be watched and, and, and as well as nurtured into this position. And let these also first be proved. I was pastoring a church years and years ago where um, after, well, it doesn't matter when, but the point was the, 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 the practice of the churches in that area was if you were a deacon in another church and you left that church for whatever reason and you come and join, say, the church that I'm pastoring, it was the mindset of those people that that person coming over into the membership because he was a deacon somewhere else was automatically a deacon there. No choice in the matter. He just became a deacon. So he was, as he came into the membership, he was taken not only as a member, but he was also had to be taken as a deacon as well. Well, that would not fulfill verse 10 at all, would it? How could that man be said to be proved if the part of his joining into that fellowship was that he automatically became a deacon? The church, and especially the elder, himself, the elders themselves, couldn't faithfully fulfill verse 10, could they, under such thinking? And so I said, well, what if a pastor leaves his church? And comes over to this church and wants to be a member. Does that make him automatically want to be a make him automatically a pastor? And the guy who was telling me this said, well, I don't know. We never thought about that. Well, again, that's the problem with a lot of us. We don't think biblically. We don't want to take our thoughts and bring them into captivity to Christ. What does Christ say about this matter? A lot of times it's just, well, we like the guy. He's just a nice fellow. I mean... Give him something to do. He's really nice. Or give him something to do so he'll stay out of my hair. You know, it's, it's all these kind of excuses that we can, we can make up. Brethren, we can't do that. They must be tested. They must be Proved.